like Mark, in all my years, I've never heard parsing Greek verbs tied with baptism. <laughs> That's good. Okay, um, I'd like to call attention to a couple of things on the back of the bulletin, or at least one thing. Um, I think Mark mentioned it um, during the announcements, but today is a children's affirmation class, and uh, this is a very important class that we do uh, with our children. It's, it's a time when we stop and we take them through, what is it, what are the, why do we do the things we do? Why do we baptize? Why do we have communion? Why, what's faith all about? Um, who's Jesus? And so um, I would like to pray for this. This is an important time. This is where some of, on that journey of forming identity in Christ, this is one of those steps where that happens. This is a very important time. You can look on there and see the other great things that are going on. We've got a lot of things happening. And uh, I would also like to continue to lift up our country this election year. I Just about the time I think I'm surprised as much as I can be surprised, I'm surprised again at how much we can hurt each other and the mean things that we can say. And, you know, we're called to be peacemakers, aren't we? And um, I, I'm just being honest with you, it just saddens me. I, I look what's happening why we have to be so cruel and mean in our um, becoming a president. It's, I'm not, I don't understand what the right answer is. I don't even know if there is a right answer. I just know the one who knows what the right answer is. So I want to take this to him. And let's continue all year long to pray for our country during this really important time. So let's pray for both of these. Father, I do lift up our uh, affirmation class today with our children. Lord, I... Uh, our children are so precious to us. They, they mean so much. They not only represent our hopes and our dreams, but Lord, they represent our longings. We want them to come to know you. We want them to know you in ways that we know you. We want you to do in their lives, their lives, what you did in our lives, Lord, where you drew us to yourself. And I know that this is an important part of that. So I pray for today, uh, for Mark and Val, as they talk to our children, that that these stories would sink in, it would make sense to them, and that it would be one more step on the journey of faith for them. And Lord, I lift up our country. Uh, Lord, I, at one level, I'm sorry, Lord, that we can be so cruel and, and we have violence at rallies and all of that. And I'm sorry, Lord. Help us as a church across our country to continue to be peacemakers. And Father, we look to you for what's the right answer for who should be our next president. And God, you assure us that you will make that decision. And so we have confidence in you. And Lord, when you've made the decision, help us to come before you in honor and help us to honor our, our president, whoever that will be. God, help us as a nation because we need it. These things we pray in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. You ever been betrayed? Maybe a spouse, someone you're in a relationship with, maybe a friend, a co-worker, boss, neighbor, somebody that you trusted? You ever been betrayed? What did it feel like? Hurt, pain? Loneliness. We're going to talk about betrayal today. 
It's an important part of the Christian walk. Sadly, but it is. Or how about have you ever betrayed someone? You're the one that perhaps <clears throat> hurt someone, walked out on someone. How would you feel? Do you ever get around to feeling the shame, the, the uh, embarrassment, the guilt of doing that? David was betrayed by his son Absalom, son that he loved desperately. Son betrayed him, took the kingdom away from him. Paul was betrayed by Demas, who deserted him. Paul was also betrayed by Alexander the coppersmith. And by Paul's own words, he did much harm to Paul. He didn't go lightly. He took a lot of shots on the way out. What makes betrayal so painful? What is it? I would suggest is because it can only be done by someone who knows you, a friend. Someone who knows your hearts, someone who knows your longings, your character, someone who's become close to you. Because, you know, if, if they're not close to you, it doesn't feel much like betrayal. If you don't really care about their opinion, it doesn't feel like betrayal. Not so much. The closer they are to you, the more it hurts. They turn against you. They choose to hurt you. Sometimes they, be, they come to a false belief about you. Maybe you're dangerous. And they begin to tell others that. That's betrayal. I don't know about you, but my mind freezes up as I try to grasp how a friend, anyone who might know me so deeply, intimately could turn on me and attack me. And yet that's what betrayal is. Somebody you trust. Michael Card captures the agony of betrayal in one of his songs. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. That's what betrayal is. Today we are in the fifth Sunday of Lent. We're talking about betrayal. Each week of Lent, we've been on a journey where we've been reflecting on several people in Scripture who shed tears, tears of sorrow. And so we've been taking a look at those tears and asking the question, why did they cry? Why? Our goal is to connect more deeply with the broken world around us, to understand it. And we are always looking for avenues into this brokenness. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What you see on the surface is not real. What you see on our county is fake. It's pretend. You know, when I walk into a restaurant, I walk into a bar, I walk into a coffee shop, I look around me, you know what I see? I see people that are lonely, people that are tired, weary, People that are trying desperately to find anything to make life live better. Skiing faster. I mean, this is heaven, isn't it? Right here? Can't get much closer. And yet you come here and guess what? The loneliness doesn't go away. The hurt from betrayal doesn't disappear. The broken or fractured relationship that you're in doesn't heal itself. Underneath the surface, underneath the surface, our county. It's very painful. That's what I see. That's what I see. Don't be fooled. 
Don't be deceived by that. And we will more fully appreciate Easter if we can pause long enough to become a little bit more aware of that pain around us. Every person feels it. Or they deny it. Kind of your own choices. Betrayal. Next Sunday, we begin the journey back toward happiness. It's Palm Sunday. For those of you that are regular attenders here, you know what that means. You're not going to want to miss Palm Sunday. Easter's two weeks from today. And um, I think you'll enjoy Easter after six weeks of looking with tears and sorrow. Okay, so today we're going to look at the story of Peter. It's out of Matthew 26. It actually occurs in all four Gospels, but I'm going to read the account in Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Just to kind of set the stage, uh, Jesus just finished his last supper with the disciples. Uh, Judas has betrayed him. He's been arrested. He's standing before the uh, Sanhedrin. And now on top of that, Peter wanders into the courtyard or at least onto the scene to pay attention to what's happening with Jesus. So we're going to jump right in the middle of the story, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with the Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went to, out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't even know the man. After a little while, those standing went up to Peter and said, hey, aren't you one of them? I mean, your accent gives you away. He began to call down curses and he swore and he said, I don't even know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Luke adds a little detail at this point that's not in Matthew. <clears throat> Apparently, Peter was close enough to see Jesus and what was happening. And Jesus was, clo was close enough to be aware of Peter's denial because it says at this point, Jesus just turned and looked at him. That's all he had to do. That's all he had to do was just turn and look at him. Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. <clears throat> okay, let's take a little bit closer look at this story and ask the question, why did Peter weep bitterly? We think we know, but the story doesn't really tell us. None of the Gospels tell us. The very first thing I want you to see is that Peter is confronted by two servant girls, probably slaves. It's not enough that he's publicly embarrassed, but he's embarrassed by a young girl. That's a shameful thing. That's a shameful thing. And... It's an important enough fact that all four Gospels record that it was a servant girl who exposes him. It's one thing to be publicly embarrassed. It's another thing to be publicly embarrassed by a woman in this culture. Peter's denials, when you look at them, they kind of grow in their intensity and his betrayal gets stronger and stronger and stronger. He first denies knowing anything about it. When she says, hey, uh, uh, aren't, weren't you with Jesus? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then right after that, he denies knowing Jesus, and he supports it with an oath. Verse 72, with an oath, he says, I don't even know the man. 
Now listen to Jesus' teaching earlier in Peter's life. This is on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Don't even swear an oath. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow, those are strong words. Peter just not only denied the Lord, but he did it in a way to disobey Jesus' teaching. We do that, don't we? We do that, and he willingly did it. But he goes even further. He begins to call down curses to support his betrayal, his denial of knowing Jesus. I mean, he's cursing at them. I don't even know the man. He wants it clear to everyone that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. The force of this final witness, by the way, is conclusive that Peter's lying, for he's betrayed by his Galilean accent. They weren't in Galilee. They're in Jerusalem. And the Galileans had a different accent. So they recognized he was one of that group. And so he has to work even harder to deny it, to betray the Lord. Now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10 about this. Peter would have heard this teaching as well. Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Strong words. Strong words. It shows you how far Peter has gone down this road of betrayal. That he's willing to disobey. He's willing to disregard as insignificant the teachings of Jesus. To swear by an oath, to curse. I don't even know the man. All through the story, Peter's denying that he knows Jesus, but he's doing it in front of them all. Verse 70, he denied it before them all. He wants everybody in the courtyard to know. I don't even know the man. I don't even know the man. Well, his denial is a lot more than simply the denial of the Lord. It's, a, it's a, also a self-denial. You know why? It denies the fellowship that he had shared with Jesus. It denies the very mission that he had participated with. He had partnered with Christ for three years. It denies that mission. Um, it denies the witness that he shared with Jesus. He had been there and seen all these things happen. He had seen the miracles. He had heard the teachings firsthand. My goodness, if he denies Jesus, what hope is there for us? He was there. He saw it. It's a betrayal of, Jesus, of his own calling. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 4. Come follow me and I will make you fish for people. So he's denying Jesus. He's denying his mission. He's denying his calling. He's denying his very identity. He's saying, I'm not really who you thought I was. 
What hope do we have? But it goes, it's worse than that. <clears throat> the authors of these Gospels wanted you to know some more details. You see, uh, Peter's damaging denial, his betrayal, reveals his guilt. Because according to Deuteronomy 19, Jewish law required the testimony of two or three witnesses to establish a verdict of guilty. Under Jewish law, you need to have at least two to three witnesses before you can be found guilty. Guess what the authors of the Gospels do? They give us three witnesses. This is a very powerful statement. Perhaps the man closest to Jesus, at least in the inner circle of the three, went so far out on a limb to betray Jesus and to be portrayed as guilty, to deny himself, to deny the Lord, to betray his friend, to betray the one who called him, to betray his mission. You can't get much further out in betrayal, can you? Way, way, way down that road. He's guilty. Now, what's surprising about this is just a few hours before this, Peter had just affirmed that he would never disown or deny Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now, this is the story that you're familiar with. We do it every week. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat this. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. A quote, Messianic quote out of Zechariah. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Peter replied, Even if they all fall away on account of you, I never will. Hear that resolve? Even if everybody else turns against you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never, never, never disown you. Strong resolve. Strong commitment. Good words. All the other disciples did the same. It's the next verse. He meant well, didn't he? And yet just a few hours later, where is everybody? They all committed to the Lord. They all knew the teachings of Jesus. Peter knew not to swear by an oath. He knew that the warning that that Jesus would deny him before his father if he denied him. He did it anyway. You know why? He's human. He's human. In fact, I would argue that Peter hasn't done anything that we haven't done. I don't know about you, but I've done it. Maybe not quite in this way. But when I make the voluntary decision to, to go against what the Lord knows has said is best for me, I'm rejecting his counsel. I'm rejecting his teaching. I have days when I doubt. I'm no different than you. 
Peter's human. He meant well. But under the stress and the test and the public humiliation and the embarrassment, he could not stand up to the test. Well, what about Jesus? He's the one that's being betrayed. Let's talk about him just briefly for a moment. The, this is the second betrayal. You know about the first one. Just before that, uh, Judas betrays him in the same chapter, verse 47. So he's betrayed by Judas. Then he's taken before the Sanhedrin where he's rejected. And then he's betrayed, betrayed by Peter. So he's betrayed, he's rejected, and he's betrayed a second time all by those he came to save. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get to communion. You realize that you live in a state of forgiveness, right? Every one of you is disowned the Lord. Every one of you is turned in rebellion against him. Every one of you. In fact, I think probably every one of you has turned against a friend at least once. Sometime in your life. You live in a state of forgiveness. That's why Paul can say, forgive others because Christ has already forgiven you. Not because they do something to repent. Not because they apologize. Not at all. That's not why you forgive. You forgive because you live in a state of forgiveness. Every second of every day, you are forgiven. So he's betrayed, he's rejected, he's betrayed a second time, all by those he came to save. He remained true to his mission while those closest to him scattered, they denied him, they rejected him, they betrayed him. So why does Peter weep bitterly? Why does he weep? We make assumptions about that, but the text doesn't actually tell us. Is it simply out of remorse? Guilt? Is there something deeper going on? Well, the gospel stories don't answer that question. We have to go someplace else. In John, I'm going to read to you the end of John, because in John is where Jesus is restored by Peter. It's really interesting that there's a big discussion in uh, studies of John about whether John 21 belongs with John, whether it's authentic or not. And there's good reasons for the discussion. My argument that, it's, that it belongs there is because it, it, it puts a ribbon on it. It brings closure to the story of Peter. If we didn't have John 21, we would never know what happened to Peter. We would never know the interaction between Jesus and Peter. So I'm going to read John 21 to you, and I want you to listen to these words. Okay. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. So they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. They, I love it. They went out to go fishing. <laughs> uh, have you ever thought about what you would do if all of your hopes in the Messiah were dashed? That's what happened. I can't even imagine the emotional trauma of placing your faith in a Messiah only to watch him executed. And then he comes back to life. Talk about confusion. I can't even imagine the, the psychological effect, the emotional effect of this on them. So what do they do? They go do what's comfortable. I'm going back. I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> that's what we all do. We go find something that's comfortable to us. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. We just went fishing. 
So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Nope, they answered. So he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, this has happened once before in the story. So Jesus, I mean, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off while he was working, jumped into the water, and he swam ahead of the boat. And he got there to the shore. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, I wonder what Peter felt. Because, you know, Jesus hasn't brought up the fact that, you know, you did deny me three times. You know, you did betray me in front of the whole Sanhedrin, I might add. He hasn't brought that up. You ever have unspoken things between friends? Things that you both know, maybe you're ashamed of, or maybe they're ashamed of, and it never really gets brought to light? Well, that's what we have here. This hasn't been dealt with yet. So I can only imagine what Peter must have felt. I'm sure there was some level of shame there. I'm confident there was. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. So Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here are the words that, to me, are some of the most precious words in all of Scripture. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? So he said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. Those words are precious to me. You know why? I say those things to the Lord. This is one of the things I say to the Lord. When I'm in sin, and I sin, I do. Some of those you'll never know about what it looks like on the inside. You only see the outside. I know the inside. I know the shame. I know the wrestling. I know the the struggles that I have internally. I'm a human like you. I know those things. And there are some times when I have no place to turn except to the Lord. He is the only one who understands. You wouldn't. And I'm sure you all feel that way. There are times when I say, Lord, you're the only one who understands. You're the only one. You know all things. You are the only one I can trust that won't hurt me with this knowledge. You're the only one that I can trust that knows what to do about it. And you're the only one that loves me even when I sin. That's what Peter's saying here. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So why did he weep bitterly? I think because he was humbled. What Jesus did not say, as is common among his his entire ministry, Peter, where were you? Why did you betray me? That's what we do. Isn't it? You know better than that. You know better than that. 
We do it all the time in relationships. Somebody comes to me, comes to one of us and says, I'm struggling with uh, I'm drinking too much. Well, you know that's wrong. You don't hear Jesus say those words. That's why I try to always respond with, how can I help you? What can I do to help you? When you bear your soul, be careful who you bear it to. And Peter just bared his soul to the Lord who did not confront him. He didn't have to. All Jesus had to do was express that level of forgiveness. That's all he had to do. Peter was humbled. Peter's weeping bitterly gives us a, a, a step in the process that does lead to repentance, that does lead to transformation. And here's his repentance. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The Lord does know all things. He is the one person that you can trust. I'm not even completely trustworthy. He is. Sometimes you just got to go to him and say, you're the only one who understands. You're the only one. Judas never responded that way. All he had to do was turn back to the Lord, and he didn't. He took his life. Shows how selfish he was. Peter went fishing. I love it. He went fishing. He didn't know what to do. He didn't run away. He didn't take his life. He went fishing, and the Lord found him. Do you really love me? Lord, you know all things. Betrayal causes us to stop trusting. <clears throat> it, it hurts a congregation. It hurts marriages. It hurts relationships. Every which way we turn, betrayal is so destructive. It does. That's why Paul said, forgive others because Christ has already forgiven you. You see, forgiveness, forgiveness is about you letting go of something. Forgiveness is for your best interest more than the person that you're forgiving. If you can't forgive, you're the one that's hurt the most because you've given that other person power over you. Every time you think about them, anger rises up or something hurts, something rises up. Every time, just the name comes to mind and there it comes. They have power over you. Forgiveness is about you letting go of that. That's what forgiveness is. Getting past betrayal and unforgiveness is one of the most challenging things we have to do in a broken world. And every one of us has to do it. Every one of us. Are you the betrayer? You are, by the way. Every one of you have betrayed the Lord and someone else, I'm sure. So who... Who do you need to forgive? And who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Father, thank you. Thank you for, um, for sending your son. Thank you that you would do that in spite of the betrayal. In fact, you knew it was going to happen. You, you predicted it. You went into it eyes wide open, and you knew that was going to happen. Thank you for the grace that you show us. Thank you, as Paul said, for forgiving us, even when we don't deserve it. 
Lord, for um, helping us to cry bitterly. Lord, help us, like Peter, to turn to you in our deepest hurts and sins and say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Thank you for not denying us before your Father. Amen. I ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering. Thank you for your uh, generosity.